We'd like to welcome everyone back to the Nova Society, and today we'll be talking about the recent Trump indictment, what it means to the primaries, some of the legal implications that might be a result. So let's listen in. All right, Brooke. So today we, you wanted to talk about the indictment that was handed down to Donald Trump this past week and the fact that he went in and was arraigned and all the implications that that might have. So uh, what are you thinking? Good morning, Mark, and hello to all our listeners. And I was recalling Eugene v. v. Debs, and I'm not sure what the V stands for. He was the socialist candidate back in, um, oh, in the 1920 election, and he ran for president while in the Atlanta federal penitentiary. And he did receive 3.4% of the vote. He was in jail, and so there is nothing in the Constitution that prevents Mr. Trump, if he were in jail. You and I both know, but many of our listeners may not know, there is nothing in the Constitution that says a person who has been convicted of a criminal offense and who is in jail, the person can run for president, and theoretically, I would assume, the person can be president while in jail. There's nothing in the Constitution that says that the person cannot. And my my question, therefore, to you, Mark, because I know that you have a degree in law, which I do not. One of the cases, criminal cases being brought against Trump that indicates that if a person attempts to overthrow the government or commits treason, the person cannot hold public office. If Mr. Trump, let us just say, has already gotten the Republican nomination, as it certainly would appear as though he has, if Mr. Trump is, let's say, confined to Mar-a-Lago, or is confined to New York State for whatever reason. He's confined somewhere and has the nomination and runs for office and is elected president of the United States. And the other criminal cases are preceding. And Mr. Trump is found to be guilty of the one, one or ones that says that he cannot run for or hold public office. And he is president at the time. Then he would need to be removed from office and the vice president would take over. Is that correct? How does that work? Well, <laughs> This is something that uh, I don't think the founding fathers expect. This is kind of new ground. The founding fathers did not expect us Americans to be as, shall I say, foolish or as manipulable as we have shown ourselves to be that we would vote for a criminal defendant to be the president of the United States. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that wasn't something. And we have to also remember the founding fathers, a very smart bunch of guys did not really trust the populace. That's why the way that the constitution was written at the time, and it has been amended really did not let the will of the people. It was more the will of the government itself that made the decisions. That's why there was differences back then on how the president and vice president was selected, how senators were selected, because they did not really trust the average America. That kind of was their mindset. And now we can see why. The first thing let's 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 hit on is the disparity in the law. So if you are a convicted felon or if you're in jail, by law you're not allowed to vote. However, oh, you're also probably not allowed to have a gun in most in most cases. You're not allowed to own a gun. In fact, there's a lot of things you're not allowed to do. Unfortunately, nobody ever thought about 
being the president. Basically, Mr. Trump could run for president, become the president, but couldn't vote for himself. When we think of it in those terms, there's a little bit of a disconnect here. And I have not heard one single senator or congressman or anyone say, this is a big loophole. You could be the president, be a convicted felon. You can't vote. You can't own a gun. There's a whole bunch of things you can't do, but you could still be the president. So does that mean that the president can't issue like the order for launching nuclear weapons? I mean, the guy can't have a gun. Well, you're going to let him play with nuclear weapons? I mean, again, it's just, it's almost absurd. When you, when you really sit down and you think about it, it's almost absurd. Now, you, you were talking about the case, and the, the case that you're talking about as far as the insurrection and the documents case, that is a federal case. That's Jack Smith. He's working on that. And what you're referring to is actually a the Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, which basically prohibits anyone who has previously taken an oath of office, such as a senator, member of the House of Representatives, or any other public official, including president, from holding public office if they, if, this is the big one, if they have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the United States. So if he was found to have supported or created the insurrection of January 6th, then by the third section of the 14th Amendment, he would not be eligible to hold any office. If he was already in office, now we run into another issue. By the way this is written, he should be immediately removed from office. I wouldn't call it a constitutional crisis. A lot of people would, would think this is a constitutional crisis. I don't see it as that. It, the 14th Amendment is very specific, but it's something that nobody ever thought would happen. You hear an awful lot about the indictment and all that with the American president. And we have to remember, there are Plenty of other nations throughout the world that this has happened to. There are plenty of governors in the United States who have gone to jail. So to, to say that this is totally new to the United States and the political system of the United States is really not true to the sense that it is a former sitting president. Yes. Yes, it is. However, just because the president, and I, we've talked about this before, sometimes in the United States, we take the presidency and we elevate it to a point that makes it above the law because we want to protect the integrity of the office. In that attempt to protect that integrity, we sometimes dilute the integrity of it because this is citizen number one. And citizen number one is not held to the same standard as everybody else. I, I was speaking to a, a friend who's from Alabama. Uh, he's he's actually a prosecutor here in South Carolina. And we were talking and he said, well, you can't tell me this would have been done if it wasn't Trump. Great guy, very smart attorney. And I said, obviously, you don't know how things work in New York. In Manhattan, this is a normal charge. This is something that happens often. Does it generally come into jail time? Not always, no. But usually there's big fines. And I would think that if Trump was found guilty in New York, I would think that the the worst he's looking at is probably probation, probably some sanctions as far as his business is concerned. He's going to pay a big fine. But as far as prison time, I, I don't see the judge doing that. Now, these other offenses, the one down in Georgia, where he had that wonderful, that, as he says, perfect phone call with Ratzenberger, the secretary of state basically trying to find votes so that he would win Georgia, which really, again, doesn't make a lot of sense when you think that, okay, if he had won Georgia, even if Ratzenberg had gone along with it and he won Georgia, he still loses the electoral college. You'd have to turn like three or four states. 
So I, I don't get that logic behind why Georgia was so important, but okay. That somebody must've thought it was down in Atlanta, down in Fulton County, who knows what they're going to do. Well, that's interfering with an election. Is that a felony? Yes. And it, in many ways, it kind of goes along with the documents and insurrection federal charges. So, so it kind of all comes together as opposed to the New York charges, which are really looking at business practices and illegal business practices and illegal bookkeeping. And people say, well, you know, that isn't all that important. Why would this is the former president? It's not that important. There's been a lot of important people in New York that have been charged with the same thing, no matter how important they were that got convicted and couldn't say, well, you can't convict me because I'm too important. The fact is, is that it's the law and either the law works the same for everyone or it doesn't work for anyone. And I think the really interesting thing is going to be how the federal investigation proceeds, how this thing in Georgia proceeds, because these are things that people can truly understand. When you talk about bookkeeping in a business and falsifying records and things like this, that's a little bit shadier as far as to the average person. But in Georgia, you've got a phone call. No matter how much you try to wish that away, there it sits. Uh, you have the fact that he tried to take voting machines, which he can't do. And he, you have his officials basically saying, now these are Trump's people saying, you can't do this. And they're all being called in. And I saw that uh, Mr. Pence, former vice president, has decided that he will testify, which in, in a way was, you know, more a ceremonial acquiescence. He was going to have to testify anyway, whether he liked it or not. Those are the ones that really people have to sit back and wait to see what happens. There's a lot of rumors out there what these charges are. There's a lot of speculation. And the fact is, is until you see the indictment, same thing within New York, until you actually saw the piece of paper with the 34 felony felony charges, the actual indictment, we're guessing. It's a, it's a wait and see game. The 14th Amendment, Section 3, is very clear. I mean, there is no room for interpretation here, but it will be interesting to see how some of these uh, syncopants, they will try to interpret it into a manner that best suits the agenda that they have. Thank you, Mark. And I then I have a couple of other questions. If, and I, I agree that the founding fathers assuredly never thought that any convicted criminal could possibly be elected president. What My first question is, what, what does it take then to add another amendment to um to the constitution i should know this but i don't remember is it three quarters of the states who have to vote to alter uh and create an amendment so that not never again will will there it be possible to vote for a convicted criminal for president no one like that will be able to run for president for the united states that's one of my questions for uh, another question that i have is um the judge the new york judge had warned Mr. Trump and the parties to tone down and calm down with the rhetoric. And of course, instead, when Mr. Trump got back to Mar-a-Lago, the tone of his invective and his his um, negativity and, and name calling increased. The, the people there are Trump haters and he included the judge's family and their perverts and and whatnot. What a, what what do you see the potential of a gag order? And my third question is, 
Governor DeSantis of Florida had said that if there were an extradition order for Mr. Trump, he would not honor it. So let's say that Georgia or Jack Smith, one of the serious, very serious cases, the documents cases, the the phone call and so forth, those cases, and Trump refuses, unlike New York, where he voluntarily left Florida and he appeared in court. Let's say Trump refuses to appear and Mr. DeSantis refuses to issue an order for him. What happens at that point? Well, let's take the first one. Constitutional amendment. First of all, an amendment may be proposed by two-thirds vote of both the Houses of Congress. So the House of Representatives and the Senate, two-thirds. If two-thirds of the states request an amendment, then an amendment may go may go forward. And a convention can be called for that purpose. This then has to be ratified by three-fourths of the state legislatures. Now you get into the three-quarters or three-fourths of the convention called in each state for that ratification. So there's a process here. that And it, the Constitution could be changed, but it's meant to be difficult to change it. So so that's the the process for constitutional change there. So there's a lot of things that would go that would have to happen. Personally, I don't think they need to do it. I think that they can go back to the the 14th amendment, the third section of that and they can hang their hat right on that. So that might be just not worth the the effort to specifically put something in there because in my mind specifically it's in the 14th amendment, the third section. So that would be my my thought for that. So your second question was the gag order. The judge is in a tenuous position, and he's trying to balance this out. If he puts a gag order on a presidential candidate who is running for office, that really does limit that candidate's ability to to speak. And I think that that would be something that they would really want to avoid, just so that it seems that everything is fair here, unless it got way out of hand. Right now, the attacks by Trump are personal. Insulting the judge is probably the dumbest thing to do. <laughs> I mean, that's just dumb. But it would have to be something very significant uh, and before. Emily, hmm? sorry, I know I cut you well, off. Well, yeah, and no, no, and his family. I mean, yeah, same yeah. thing with the with the district attorney and stuff. But exactly. that's that's Trump's that's Trump's way. That that's no, what he does. But then they receive death threats. Well, uh, and they receive death. They're going to receive death threats from the the cult group anyway. Uh, I'm sure it's not the only death threats this judge or that the district attorney in Manhattan has ever received. He's probably getting more, absolutely. And you know the people that you're getting it from, the same cast of characters that you're going to see cult. I mean, so that, that, that doesn't surprise me too much. As far as DeSantis refusing to extradite, so the federal case, DeSantis doesn't have a choice because the feds are just going to come down and take him. Either you show up or we come get you. You're, you're now a fugitive from federal justice. So DeSantis doesn't have really much to say there. The Georgia case, could he refuse extradition, extradition to Georgia? Yes, he could. That's a short-term thought. Because if he does that, Georgia in the future could do the same. Plus, he's refusing extradition to a what really is still a Republican-controlled state. Is that really the, the, the route he wants to go? He is now going to be in conflict with the Secretary of State of Georgia, who's a Republican, the governor of Georgia, who's a Republican. New York's a little different. Democrat for governor, Democrat as the as the prosecutor that's a little different georgia on the other hand that would i think that's a harder a minefield that he would have to navigate because now he's going against people in his own party he needs georgia 
if he has any hope of being elected the president, if he's actually going to run, which we still don't know. That's the last group of people you want to alienate. Let's face it. He knows he's not going to win New York. He knows if he runs, he's not going to win New York. That's all there is to it. Georgia, though, that's in play. So I think he's got to tread a little carefully when it comes to Georgia as as far as how he's going to handle that. Yeah, thank you, Mark. That this is very interesting. I hadn't thought of that. This is going to be very interesting over the next what year? Yes, the uh, the New York case doesn't go back into uh, into court really until December. Correct, December. Yeah. Um, this is this is a great example of the wheels of justice move slowly. <laughs> they grind and they grind and they grind like molasses yeah. going uphill in winter. Absolutely, and the fact is is that. You know, as as this progresses, uh, yes, it's very interesting. It's a shame. Yes. But it yes. is a test of our democracy. The United States, we have always been very proud of our democracy. Yes. We're great at talking the talk. Now we are going to see if we walk the walk. Yes. Probably the most interesting thing about all this is the character of the country is now going to be tested. Yes. Are you really those patriots that support the United States and democracy and freedom, or do you support a person? Yes, before party. Absolutely. Country and the Constitution, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, or party and a person. Right. It's easy easy to say that stuff. Yeah. Very easy to say it. But democracy is messy. Yes, it certainly uh, is. Democracy is one of the weakest forms of government because of this. But it is the best form of government for the people that engage into it. A lot of people say, well, this is going to be interesting. This is going to be, and I agree it's going to be interesting. But I think the real interesting thing is, is how the nation responds to it. Yes. And that, I would say, is the most unpredictable thing. How we, the people, That's are going correct. to respond. The, the court cases are law. It's it's written. It's, it's like 14th Amendment. It's written. How we respond to the application of the 14th Amendment. Yep. That's emotion. That's exactly right. Yeah. That is exactly right. And that may not be response in terms of a thoughtful, well-analyzed, and insightful response but a reaction Correct. that is inflamed and pure emotion reactive so when people discuss uh, authors and and scholars discuss the potential for civil war and one looks at the violence that and and the invective and the blaming and the actions that are already being taken, I start to be highly concerned about the reactions of my fellow Americans, or some of my fellow Americans. All right, Brooke, that's about all the time we have for this week. Yes, indeed. And we'll see you next week. Yes, it's an interesting topic. We'll see how this plays out. This is going to play out for a long, long time, and we'll keep an eye on to it. So it was really good talking to you. Great to speak with you. Great to speak with you. And thank you to all our listeners. So there you have our thoughts for this week. 
And as always, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Podkite Analytics, who keep the analytics for the Nova Society. We'd also like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. If you wish to reach us, have a question, or would like to be a guest on the podcast, you can reach us at nova.society.podcast at gmail.com. And as always, remember, the power of society is knowledge. We hope to see you again next time.